scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So my, one of my professors in seminary once described me as somebody who is theologically progressive and liturgically very traditionalist. What that means is that I like a really well-structured communion service, and I like writing a good call to worship, and I really like observing the Christian year. I probably pay more attention to it than a lot of people do, but it brings me joy to mark the changing of the seasons, both in our natural world and in the life of our church. I think the way we mark time calls us into different reflections about who God is and how Christ is moving in our lives. And so in the Christian year, today is Christ the King Sunday. It was established in 1925 by Pope Pius as a reminder of Christ's ultimate authority and power. We have an image and an understanding of who Christ is. And Christ the King gives us an opportunity to talk about what that kingship is. I also think it's important to know that the reason Pope Pius did this was because he thought in 1925 that people had lost all reason for the season. People didn't know why they were celebrating Christmas. He thought that we needed a reminder about a holiday that had become too secular and just about shopping. 
Nothing really ever changes, does it? I think as we head into Advent in the next week, Christ the King gives us an opportunity to examine who this King is that we eagerly anticipate during Advent. Despite the images of Christ decked out in gold with a crown that is gleaming, despite the images of royalty that we see in TV and movies, if you've watched the latest episodes of The Crown that were released, we know that Christ did not bring a message of excessive wealth or tyrannical rule. So when we talk about Christ the King this morning, there are three questions that I want us to look at. What kind of kingdom, what kind of king, and what kind of church? There are two ways to understand the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, depending on which gospel you're reading. And really, it's its own sermon series, so I'm going to be brief and try to simplify it, unless you guys brought Thanksgiving leftovers and we all just want to chill for a few hours and we can really get into. But one way of understanding the kingdom of God is that it is removed from earth beyond our understanding, the place above where God dwells and rules. The other understanding can be that the kingdom of God is here and now, the most perfect vision of how our world could be. And it's not one or the other, it's usually both what could be, what is, what is here, what is far away. But I want to focus on God's concern for our current world today and God's direction for us now. The kingdom of God is what we are called to create through the movement and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And our passage today highlights the tension between the world's deeply imperfect people and the ideal world that God calls us into. Who is this king of everything? Who is this Jesus person hanging out in the least and the lost and the poor and the imprisoned? How were we actually supposed to know to look for God in the dark and dirty places of the world? We are taught to look for winners, not losers in life. And I think it's important to note that both the goats and the sheeps in this passage express surprise at where Jesus was hiding in plain sight. He'd been right there with them in the midst of daily life in all its messiness. He wasn't holed up with the holy in the temple. He wasn't sitting on some majestic mountaintop waiting for us to find him. And it's not even recognition that Jesus is focused on. He's focused on action. We like to all assume, right, that of course we would be the sheep, obviously. (laughs) But those who are identified as the goats may have been keeping a watch out, preparing themselves, being ready for the coming king. They were saving their big effort for the king who shows up and acts like royalty. They knew to be good. They weren't necessarily making bad decisions. But they were waiting to act. They were waiting 
for that message from a king that looks like what they think a king should look like. And in doing so, and in waiting, they failed to see Jesus at all. But those who are the sheep may have been also looking and waiting for the king. They might have also been expecting this king to wear a crown and come in glory. But they weren't sitting around chewing cud and rolling in the grass to kill time. They were busy taking care of their neighbors in need. They were ministering to folks within and outside of their communities. They didn't wait to act. They didn't wait to be good until the king was here. Doesn't mean they got it right about what the king of glory, about what Christ the king would look like, but it means that they knew that they were called to create the kingdom here and now. There's a lot of different ways we can identify ourselves, sheeps or goats, Eagles fans or Kansas City Chiefs fans. If you're a Broadway fan, sharks or jets. But the king that is promised, the king that is Christ, isn't really interested in who we want to think we are. He is interested instead in what we're doing with our days and our hours, who we're in relationship with and how that's expressed. Are we hanging out with people who are just like us, doing as little as possible, willing away the hours thinking about Christ's second coming? Or are we living each moment to its fullest in the business of cultivating relationship, tending to the needs of friend and neighbor, and more importantly, those who we might call enemy? Are we waiting until life's most difficult places and situations with the light of Christ shining brighter than the Christmas lights on our houses? In this parable, Jesus promises to be always with and for those who are in the greatest need, which means that if we want to experience God's presence fully and deeply and truly, we will look for God in the need of those around us, and we will see God in our own need as well. This is not what we expect of God. It is certainly not what we expect of a king. We think of God in these ultimate terms of all-knowing and all-powerful. We're talking about the creator of the cosmos and the author of life, and so it makes sense that we always have a grand image, but that is not where Jesus invites us to meet or be met by God. And this takes us by surprise. This upsets our expectations and disrupts our plans, but it shouldn't. Because as we know God through Jesus, we know that God delights in such surprises. God did not come to reign as king over humanity in Athens or Rome or a great city where one would expect God to arrive. 
God came to identify with us, born in a small town in the form of a vulnerable infant. And God did not come to conquer the world with military or political might, but instead comes to us to conquer in the scandal and the shame and the pain of the cross. And so God continues to come where we least expect God to be, in the plight of the homeless, on the side of the poor, in the face of the needy, and in the company of the imprisoned. If we are willing to suspend our expectations and live into the surprising reality of the God we know, then we are invited not to meet God in some distant eternal life, or some otherworldly reality, but here and now, in the concrete and real need of our neighbors, just as they are invited to meet and be blessed by God as they tend to our needs as well. The God we know in Jesus is revealed not in power, but in vulnerability, not in might, but in brokenness, and not in judgment, but in mercy. And this passage does seem to hold some judgment in it. It reaches its peak when the Son of Man who comes in glory dismisses the unrighteous to eternal fire. That's a little judgmental. But Jesus is sharing this parable on his way to the cross. These are his last words before the beginning of the Passion narrative. The very next verse in Matthew says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. When we talk about Christ the King, when we end our church year, and we ask what kind of king I think that it does not anticipate some final judgment at the end of time where we wait to be raptured, but describes an unexpected revelation that the Son of Man and Son of God is revealed in the most vulnerable moment. Perhaps Jesus says in this teaching what he has been saying all along through all of his teachings and actions what he will soon say and through his very body that God loves us and all the world so much that God is with us fully and completely. And so we recognize God most easily in the face of our neighbor. We learn to meet God in acts of mercy and service. We live in the blessing of God as we seek to serve as Christ served. I think this is incredibly good news that God is with us here and now, revealed in the fellowship of broken people. And so what does this mean? We know what kind of king. We even know what kind of kingdom. But what kind of church does this call us to be? One would assume that given all of this time we've had, we have it right. I mean, the Israelites hadn't quite figured it out, sure. And the rabbis and Pharisees that Jesus was walking alongside didn't quite figure it out. But surely after all this time, 
We're very aware that there's no institutional rules that are more important than showing the love of God, right? This is something we have down by now, correct? The ancient Israelites were worried about how they were going to rebuild their faith. And we talk a lot about the institutional church dying. We talk a lot about the fact that young people don't want to be a part of the church. We worry about the future of our faith. We worry about how God's kingdom will be carried on through generations. But I've had a conversation with some young people who had grown up in the church and who walked away from it, who struggle to find a place that really speaks to them. Their faith is still deep and true. And it's not the details that seem to concern them. They're not really worried about having a perfect praise band, although we do have perfect music. They're not worried if everything goes correctly and if the visuals are flashy. What my friend Abby said to me is, how you worship is not what is important. It's who you become through worship. And she's struggling to find a place that reflects who she wants to become through worship. As we try to decide how we're going to continue to build the kingdom, when it seems like all around us, all we see is decline, I think we need to look to the instructions found in Matthew. It's very clear what God wants us to do. God is not calling us to a strict observation of meaningless rituals and rules. God is calling us to reach out to those who hunger and those who have been forsaken, those who have felt left behind by our faith, because the promise is when we do that, we will hear, come, you that are blessed, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is where we understand what kingdom is, and this is where we find our hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.